We have a good number of visitors with us this morning. and We want to thank you so much, welcome you, and uh, tell you that you are welcome here, and we are glad to have you. We have many of our own who are continuing to be out, and some who are back from vacation this week, and we are glad that you're here. Uh, Brother Mike and Sister Cherie have made it back from Florida, and uh, with all the troubles with aircraft and such, uh, they didn't have to stay in Florida, so uh, we're, glad, we're glad they made it back this afternoon, Lord willing, Brother Mike will be uh, flying to Denver, and so he will be there this week, and so we want to continue to remember uh, him as he travels for his safety, as well as the good work that's going on in Bear Valley and will be going on over the course of this week. We began a study last week looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and those words that were just read for us uh, a moment ago. I want to remind you that as you get to the end of 1 Corinthians, you get to chapter 15, Paul is going to say to these Christians that he's writing to, in verse number 57, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is a letter ultimately of victory written to those who are Christians, and he reminds these folks that they are uh, victorious if they remain in Jesus. The same is true for us. If we remain in Christ and remain with Jesus, victory is ours. And so we're looking at terms of triumph, terms that remind us of the victory that we enjoy as Christians in Christ. If you go running back to chapter 1 in this same letter, you go back to chapter 1, remember what he says there in verse number 2. He's writing to the church that is in Corinth, and he reminds them that they are the sanctified those who have been set apart in, again, service to God, sanctified in Christ Jesus. As you get to chapter 6, however, you'll notice that as you go through this letter, Paul is needing to address certain issues, certain mistakes and problems that are going on in the congregation there in Corinth. And one by one, he begins to do his best to correct the issues and tell these brethren what they needed to do to remain victorious, to remain in that condition. And so he will tell them in chapter 6, he said, I don't know what you're doing. Why is it that you are taking your brethren to court? Why are you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, taking your issues and tarnishing the reputation of Jesus? He said, it would be best for you to suffer some in this life, ultimately, that you might magnify the name of Jesus. But as you take your brethren to court, all you're doing is tarnishing his good name. All you're doing is ruining the reputation of the church. And so you need to be more concerned about Jesus than you are yourselves. And later on in that context, then you get to the words that Brother Roger read for us a moment ago. And he says, I want you not to be deceived. I want you to be reminded that the unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He will say it at the beginning of verse number 9. He will conclude with the same words in verse number 10. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you leave it there, it looks rather bleak. It looks rather bleak. The unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. The unrighteous are those who find themselves committing sin. The unrighteous are those who are lost. He says they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And if the story ends there, then the story is the most miserable. But it doesn't end there. And so you see in verse number 11, Paul reminds them of this great truth. That such were some of you. 
That was your past. That's who you were. You were part of this group of unrighteous who are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's where you found yourself. That's who you were. But that's not who you are. That was you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. And so we begin to look at these words of triumph. Because now we don't have to be lumped in with the unrighteous. Now we can get out of that condition and we can be found right with God. The question is, how is that possible? How is it that I can go from that lost condition to being triumphant in Christ? Well, we looked at the term washed, didn't we? And we realized that being washed is a decision that I make for myself that I see the benefit of doing such, that it is in being washed that I am baptized. The same word in Acts 22 and verse 16. Paul was asked, Saul of Tarsus was asked, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. So have your sins fully washed away in the waters of baptism. And then something amazing happens, something that God does. He sanctifies. You see, but you were washed but you were sanctified. And that idea behind sanctification is being set apart, separate. And so we find that no longer are you lumped in with the unrighteous who will not inherit the kingdom of God, but you were washed and you have been separated. You've been set apart. God does that. You don't have the ability to yourself, but God does that. And this morning we get to that third term, the idea of being justified. Who am I to stand before you today and talk about such a word as this? Brethren, this has to be a word that really will bring us to our knees and give us great pause. And we stop and think about what it means to be justified and how it is possible that you and I can be. It's a word that should cause us to have a tremendous amount of pause for God. Now think about what it is. What does it mean to be justified? What is it that we're talking about? Well, to understand the term justification, you understand that what we're talking about behind it at its core is the act of pronouncing one righteous. That is what it means to be justified. The act of pronouncing righteous. In other words, it is to be found righteous. It is connected with the word righteous or righteousness. And doesn't it make sense in our context? Verses 9 and 10, the unrighteous are not going to inherit uh, the kingdom of heaven. They're not going to go to heaven. But that's who you were. Now you've been justified. So now you're not unrighteous. Now God sees you as righteous. Justified. You are in right standing with God. How in the world can this be? How can I, one guilty of committing sin, understanding that sin separates me from God, Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, how can I, who who has committed sin, now be found in right standing with God? Well, we'll get to that. But can we pause to appreciate the fact that it's even possible that God has provided us a way to be found righteous. He has provided a way for you and I to be right. Have you heard this before? I'm sure you have. If you've been around the scriptures at all, you've heard this term justified. How do I explain that? I told Evan in the car this morning, I said, Evan, 
when I get done preaching the sermon, I'm going to ask you, what is justification? Because I want to try to explain it in a way that you can get it. And so here's a word, a way that you can describe it and understand. It's justified, never done it. In the eyes of God, I, I commit sin, and yet He's provided a way for me to be righteous. It's just as if I've never done it. Just as if I've never committed any sin at all. He has acquitted me of the guilt of my sin. Here's a picture you can study for just a moment that might help us to begin to wrap our minds around what's going on. Here is God standing as judge. That's you and I standing over there on the left side of that screen, condemned. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And because we have sinned, we are as guilty as we can be. You and I have transgressed. Those of accountable age, we have transgressed the commands of God. We have sinned. We've gone against His will. We've chosen to go against Him. And we stand condemned of our guilt. But He is willing to justify, to offer justification. Again, what we're talking about is the formal acquittal of guilt. God says, I'm willing to strike that from your record. I'm willing not to hold that against you anymore. I'm willing to take that guilt and put it over to the side and not think about it anymore. I'm willing to look at you not as one who is unrighteous, but one who is righteous. Pause. And begin to wrap your mind around exactly what's going on. And remind yourself that sin is deserving of death. And what I deserve is to be eternally separated from God for all time because of my choice. Because of what I have done. It's what nothing anybody has done against me or to me. But I have made up my mind. I've gone against God. And I deserve death. And yet God has provided a way for me to live. How has He done this? Go with me to the book of Romans chapter 3. I don't have time, nor will I ever, to completely do it justice, brethren. But let us be reminded of some basic truths that I hope will help us to appreciate just exactly what Jesus did for us when He went to the cross. And what it is to be justified. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, beginning with the familiar words of verse number 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now the words of verse number 23 are very well known. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You look at that in its original words, and the Bible says, all have sinned, past tense, all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. That is in the present tense. So we all have sinned in the past and we continue to fall short of the glory of God. Once you become a Christian doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. And God knows this. That's just something to think about. 
So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all are deserving of death. And we continue to fall short of the glory of God. Where's justification come in? You see, that's a bleak picture when you look at that by itself. It gets a little more bleak when you think about the words of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, which remind us that the wages of sin is what? It's death. The wages of sin is death. And so what is deserved is death. What I've earned by committing sin is death. This gets really heavy when we really pause to think about what's going on. You go back to chapter 3. And the Bible tells us this, that God in His righteousness is able to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What does that mean? That He can be just and the justifier. After all, isn't it right that our sin separates us from God? And if we die in that condition, that we're eternally going to be separated from God. And and so it leaves God with a choice, doesn't it? On the one hand, He could do nothing. And He could say, I'm sorry. I I didn't make you to do this. You've you've chosen to do this. And I'm sorry about that, but I'm going to wash my hands of this. It just didn't work. You all have sinned, and, and you're going to have to pay for that eternally. The consequences are death. And what if God chose to do that? What if he chose to say, sorry, I'm not going to do anything? Well, if that's his choice, then you you take his love and his grace and his mercy, and they're never fully realized, are they? If that's his choice, we never fully understand, we never fully grasp his love, his mercy, and his grace. But that could have been his choice. I'm going to do nothing. I'm just going to allow you to die in your sin. On the other hand, he is just. He is a God of justice. And so for him to to give us uh, no uh, no foundation, nothing, uh, in other words, uh, I'm not going to give you a standard. I'm just going to save everybody. It takes away his justice. So he's got this choice. What am I going to do? Uh, Am I going to let them go and just let them die in their sin? Or maybe I could just save everybody. But that takes away his justice. So I've got to find a way to demonstrate fully my love, mercy, and grace. And at the same time, be just. Be a God of justice. How am I going to do this? Well, from the beginning of time, he knew how he would do it. And you know what the answer is. It's in the life and death of his son. That's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to fully demonstrate my love, mercy, and grace. And I'm going to provide justice. I'm going to provide the blood of my only son... And He is going to bear the sins of the world in His body on the tree. 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. He's going to take the sin of man and He's going to bear it on the cross. And that will allow me to justify saving sinful men. 
I'll provide the standard. And so he went to the cross. And he bore the sins of the world in his own body on the tree. And fully we realize God's love, mercy, and grace. And he says this will satisfy what needs to be paid for sin. Now, how am I justified by that? What am I required? Because he says while Jesus died for the sin of everybody, not everybody's going to be saved. There still has to be a standard. There's still something that that man is going to have to do in order to obtain the benefits of the cross. What are they going to have to do? You look there in Romans chapter 3. And what's it say? It's going to require faith. I'm going to require their faith. That's how I'm going to do it. They will be justified... By faith, the price has been paid, but they've got to demonstrate their belief. They've got to demonstrate obedience to my son in order to obtain the benefits of his blood. That's what it's going to require. Don't let me lose you. Stay with me for just a few more minutes. Because I want to ask, how is it that I demonstrate my faith? How is this shown? How do I become... Justified. And so I go back to chapter 6, and I'll go about answering it this way. If you look in Romans chapter 6, in verse number 2, Paul says, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We have died to sin. We can't live any longer in our sin. And then you go down in that same context to verse number 7, and Paul says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. So in the one hand, he says, You have died to your sin, and you've been freed. American Standard says, Justified from your sin. How do I do that? How do I demonstrate my faith? How do I die to sin? How do I get released from sin? When is it that God justifies me? When is it that I am really found acquitted of all the guilt? When is that taken off of my record? When is that held against me no longer? The answer is found in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. When am I justified? When I put my sin... To death. When do I do that? In the waters of baptism. When I am crucified and that man of sin is put away, God says, You rise to walk in newness of life. It is in this way that you are demonstrating your faith. It is here that we find ourselves being justified. 
This is how we become dead to sin. This is how we are justified from our sin when we are buried with Him in baptism. Why? Because we're so good? Because we're so special? No, because the blood of Jesus is that powerful. That's what it can do. Wash your sin away. Continue to wash your sin away. 1 John 1 and verse 7, as you walk in the light and you remain in a justified condition. Right before God. Such were some of you. You were washed, sanctified, and in the same moment, justified. They all go hand in hand. Said another way, in that same context of Romans chapter 6, you find these words in verses 17 and 18. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Faith in God requires obedience to His commands. It requires righteous living. This is not a once for all. You can just obey the gospel. Demonstrate your faith in God. Demonstrate your faith in, the, in His Son. And, and then go back and live the way you were. No, the commands of Paul there, is, he's reminding them of the victory that they find in Jesus. But he's saying, you've got to correct some things. You've got to get these issues out of your life. You've got to live as a Christian. Walk in newness of life. But brethren and friends, it's amazing. That God can take sinners like you and me and pronounce us righteous. It's only because of the blood of Jesus that He can do it. And this morning, what we're looking at is a triumph term, if there ever was one. Justification. I am found righteous in the eyes of God. Not because I deserve it, not because I am innocent but because of the power of Jesus and His blood and my faith in Him. That's all that can do that. We'll never earn it. We'll never deserve it. But God provides it. This morning, how do you find yourself in the eyes of God? Do you find yourself justified today in a right condition with God? Been formally acquitted of the guilt of your sin by God? You can be in a justified condition. You can be right with God. Again, not on your own merit, but on your faith, on your trust in God and who He is, and obeying Him, doing what He says to do. He has provided you a way to go to heaven. You don't have to be lost. You can be right. If you'll be washed. Saul was not saved at the point of belief. On the road to Damascus, he knew who Jesus was. But that did not save him. He was not saved at the time of point of repentance. Nor was he saved at the point of confession. The Bible says that he was washed, he was saved, his sins were taken care of, washed away at the point of baptism. What are you saying? Baptism is more important than belief? No. More important than confession, your faith, confession of your faith in the Son of God? No. 
You're saying that baptism is more important than repentance? No, I'm not. But I'm saying this is a process which ends in the waters of baptism, and there you find yourself justified. That's what the Bible teaches. Where are you today? Are you right with God? Will you be right with God? He has provided a way for you to be justified. To have the guilt of your sin removed. To not be held against you. And to be right. Will you take advantage of that today? If you're not a Christian, will you become one today? And if you are a Christian who has wandered back, who has thrown off uh, the idea or the concept of being justified and counted it as nothing, will you repent of that today? This morning, if you're not right with God, Don't leave in that condition. If we can help you, will you come now? While together we stand and while we sing.